us. We are in the book of James together. We have been in the book of James for quite a while now. And um, today we're in chapter 4. So James chapter 4, the eighth last book of the Bible. Um, Last time I said like the third last, it was completely wrong. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17 will be our passage today. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. And I'll be reading from the, the ESV version. And so please follow along as I read this for us. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there, trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. Thank you, Peter, and welcome again to Kingsway. Uh, it's good to see uh, some old faces, good to see some new faces, uh, especially the new ones. Um, the old ones are good too, <laughs> but we're especially happy to see some new faces here. Uh, welcome. I hope you have a, a good time, get to meet some good people as well. Um, as Peter explained, normally we have slides, but you know, today there is a bit of dif- uh, technical difficulty. So keep your Bibles open or your Bible apps open, because we will be referring to James chapter 4 throughout today's word. Now, as I begin, uh, I just want to ask you a few questions. Are you a planner? Do you like to plan? Do you like to plan the next day, next week, the next few months, the next few years, maybe some of us? Do you get frustrated or anxious when your plans don't go according to plan? Or do you feel anxious when you don't have a plan? Is that you? And are you proud that you're good at setting goals and really trying hard and achieving them? Right? Is that who you are? If that is you and you answered yes, then I think today's message might speak into kind of your personality type today. Right? If the answer is no, just listen anyway, because <laughs> it's important. It's from the Bible. Right, today I want to talk about godly planning. Godly planning. Did you ever think those two words would go together, godly and planning? What is godly planning? You know, James, in this passage, he's going to talk about how Christians are meant to plan their life and make decisions about things that are ahead of them. Right? If you remember two weeks ago, uh, I talked about wisdom. Right? You may or may not remember. Um, and I said wisdom is not just knowledge. Right? According to the Bible, wisdom is knowledge appropriately applied. So a person might know a lot, right? they might know a lot of the Bible, let's say, and a lot of things about, you know, if you turn to this part of the Bible, it says this about God, and this is what God says. That's knowledge, but that's different from wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and then to apply it into your life. And so you have a decision to make, and for all the things that you know about God and all the things that he tells us to do, for that to shape the decision that you make. Or when you wake up and, you know, something pops up in life, wisdom is able to discern the right things to do, right, based on what you know about God. 
or the actions that show up in your life, right, for them to be framed by what you know, right? That's wisdom, knowledge appropriately applied. And the reason why James is talking about planning is because planning is a part of the way that what we know about God shows up. Right, so we know God exists, we know God's in control, we know God has a good purpose for us, and all these things that you know, Christians say we know is meant to show up in our lives. And one of the main ways it shows up is in the way that we plan. It's in the way that we make decisions in life. A wise Christian will take those things that we say we know, and it will shape the way that they plan. The way that you plan and the way that you make decisions in your life says more about your faith than you might actually give it credit for. And so we're going to look at the way we plan and by looking at the way we plan, we're going to see whether what we know about God is actually impacting our day-to-day life. Now, I'm not going to give us a five-step practical guide on, you know, this is how you should plan as a Christian. We're talking about the heart today the posture, the attitude that you should have as you look at your days and look at your future. So I've got two points today. Not that it matters too much. I want to talk about first ungodly planning, right? If you're taking notes, you know, number one, ungodly planning. Let's look at verse 13, right? If you've got your Bible, chapter 4, verse 13 of James. If you've got a Bible app, verse 13. James begins, he says, Come now, you who say... Now, James is addressing a group of people, and he's saying, hey, you guys, you guys who say this thing, I want, I want to talk to you, because he's going to call them out, and he's going to rebuke them, right? He's going to tell them off. And these people are saying this, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James is calling out people who would say something like this, and he's saying, you know, I've got a word for you, right? Because you're doing it the wrong way. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go here, and we're going to spend a year there, we're going to trade, and we're going to get rich. Now, I want to clarify what's going on. When we first read that, it seems like James might be saying planning is bad, and that's not what he's saying. It might seem like he's saying making a profit's bad, but that's not what he's saying either, right? If you go to the rest of the Bible, you know, planning is good, right? You need to balance that, obviously, but if you don't plan, that's bad, right, as well. So we need a plan, that's a good thing, as long as you don't do that too much. Making a profit's good too. Right? The Bible says like, if, if you're just lazy and you're broke and you're doing nothing about it, that, that's bad. Right? So the Bible says we should be trying to make a profit right? in balance. Right? So that's not the problem. The problem is clarified when we go to verse 16. This is what verse 16 says. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So the posture or the heart of the person that James is talking about is that they're boasting in arrogance, he says. This is the kind of person who is relying on their own intelligence or skills or their own sheer will to determine the outcome of their life. So it's a person who says, this is what I'm going to do. Look, watch me, watch me. Over the next year, I'm going to invest into this place. Right, or into this company, I'm going to do these things, one, two, three, and I'm going to get rich. Right, I'm able to do that, and I've planned it out, and I'm going to make that happen. It's that boastful arrogance that James is saying is evil. It's a person who thinks that they can control their life, 
by their own ability. And James is saying, that's not the Christian way. That's not the way we think, and that's not the way we look at our future. That, by the way, is the message of the world. We go out in life, and this idea that we should believe in ourselves and our ability to you know, determine the course of our life. That's what the world tells us to, to think. Right? The world honors and respects those who are so self-confident that they could walk into a room and say, all right, this is what I'm going to do. My 10-year plan is this, and they can make it happen. Right? The world says that's a great thing. But James is saying that's not the posture of a Christian. It's not believe and you can achieve. Right? It's not the only thing between you and your goal is yourself, so keep trying and you can make it happen. That's not it. Right? There are parts of that that are good, but really at the heart of it, the posture is wrong. And James tells these people who have this kind of attitude, verse 14, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What James wants to tell these people is that, let's think about it, with all your planning, And with all that you've laid down for the next 10 years, I want to remind you, you are not in control. You may think you're in control. Sometimes you feel like you're in control. But if we're honest with ourselves, you are not in control. You don't even know what, what do you say, what tomorrow will bring. What the next 24 hours are going to look like. If we think about our lives in small and big ways, we we realize we're not actually in control. And we try to create some sort of structure and security in our lives, but all the time, life doesn't go the way we think it would. For example, in small ways, you might plan out your tomorrow, nine to five at work, by the minute. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And then you wake up and the trains are late. Or there's a traffic jam. Or your boss calls an emergency meeting and you gotta clear your schedule. Or an urgent task gets thrown on your table and that's got to take priority. And all the five things that you thought you'd accomplished, you can't do tomorrow. That's just the way life is. We have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. Like when I was up until midnight creating the slides, I did not know that the slides would not not show up. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? That's the way it is. It's not just small ways, it's big ways as well. I mean, think about the last two years of your life. When you got to the end of 2019 and you're like, okay, 2020, what's my plan for 2020? Probably like me, you had some great plans for what 2020 was going to look like. And they all went according to plan, didn't they? No. But I had this great plan, 2020. I'm going to start a new church with a group of people. I'm going to prepare really hard and we're going to start in July. We're going to be called Sojourners. It's a great church name. And we're going to burst out of the gate running 100 kilometers an hour with great momentum and great excitement. But what happened was COVID and lockdown. And July got pushed back to September, to December. You know, we called Kingsway, (laughs) which is a great name. I love it. And we burst out the gate excited, and then we got hit by another lockdown. But who knew? COVID was going to happen. Who knew lockdown? What, what, what's Zoom? We had no idea what 2020 or 2021 was going to bring. If anything, we should have learned over these last two years that we are not in control. 
We have no idea what the future's going to bring. In a moment's notice, our life can be flipped upside down. Relationship troubles. We lose your job. There's a financial crisis. People get sick. People die. There are accidents. Right now, there's a war. Who knew that this is what tomorrow brings? And James is telling us, be humble enough to acknowledge that to a certain degree, you are not in control. In verse 14, he says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Have you ever woken up early for a morning jog? I heard it's great. (laughs) Or you've woken up for a morning drive and you see the mist right on the street or along the grass. But as you run past it, and then you come back home, it's gone. Just like that, it's gone. And you run past it, it's just, it's just a ball of nothing. It's, it's, it's got no substance. There one moment, gone the next. Fluff. James says, that's your life. We think our life is so great. We think we live for so long, but in the grand scheme of things, if you step back, we're here and then we're gone. We have no idea when we will be called to the Lord. We have no control of our lives. The boastfully arrogant refuse to believe that this is true. In their pride, they think that they could control their lives. When they say, tomorrow I'm going to go here and I'm going to get rich, they're thinking, I can make it happen. I am the master of my destiny and I am in control. And by my wisdom and by my skill and by my ability, I'm going to make my life go the way that I want it to. That's pride. That's arrogance. In that kind of boasting, there's no God. There's no humility to acknowledge God's plans and God's purposes. And I think that shows up in our lives. Like, if we're honest, I think there's a part of that in each of us. Well, like, this is what's going to happen in my career. I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to have this kind of salary in five years. As parents, we're like, this is my kid's life. They're going to grow up to be this kind of kid. They're going to get this job, right? It's one of three things, right? Lawyer, doctor, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. That's their life. And we plan it out as if, you know, we can control any of that. My relationships, my holidays, where I'm going to live. For the Christian, we believe in God and God needs to be a part of that picture. So there has to be a degree of humility in our lives to acknowledge that we are not ultimately the ones who are in control. Only God is truly in control. Only God really knows what tomorrow will bring, what the future is going to look like. And so we must acknowledge that in our heart. Our posture must be lowly. When the person says with confidence, this is my future, where is God in that? And this is where the wisdom part comes in. Because if you're a Christian here, you probably say, I believe God exists. I believe God's in control. I believe God's got a good purpose for my life. But for that to show up in your life, it can't be that we would then turn around and say, but I'm going to determine everything. We can't do that. If God really exists and he's in control and he's got a purpose, then we must be humble. We must seek his will. We must ask God, what is it that you want for me? not just what I want. 
And even as we make plans, we must be open to the fact that maybe the things that I've orchestrated isn't what God has orchestrated for my life and must be open to that reality. That's the humble posture of a Christian. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what you say. You're a practical atheist, living every day, making your plans and your decisions as if God doesn't exist. It doesn't matter what you say. You might say he exists, but if you're making your decisions without him in mind, you are a practical atheist, living day by day as if you don't believe in God. When you make your schedules, when you make your plans, when you think about your job, when you think about your kids and your holidays, is God in the picture? Is he a part of that equation? Do you ask, what do you want from me, God, and not just what I want? Are you relying on your own intelligence and abilities, or are you dependent on what God is going to make happen in your life? If I put it in an analogy, what seat are you in the car? Are you in the driver's seat saying, this is where we're going to go, and I'm going to take us there, and God, you're just right here next to me? And you might give me some help, some guidance, but you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to determine the way. You, you, can, you can speak up if you want, God, but you know, I'm in control. Maybe some of us, we stick God in the boot. We're like, just, just stay quiet, stay in there, and I'm going to drive my life. For the Christian, God's in the driver's seat. He determines the course. He makes the way. He makes it happen. We don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. He, he knows. And we might be like, God, this is what I'd love to happen but it's up to you. God is the one who's ultimately in control. James goes on, and this is my second point, to explain what godly planning looks like, and it's really simple. He says this, verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, right? This is the ungodly planning. It's the boasting. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So in verse 16 to 17, James is saying, if you plan in an ungodly way without God in mind, that's sin. That's not a small thing. This is serious. It's a sin. It's disgusting in the sight of God. But then in verse 15, he says, this is what godly planning looks like. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's it. If the Lord wills. That's what you add to your sentence and to your planning. Now, I want to point out, James doesn't change the content of what the person has planned. James still still says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That we will live and do this or that. That planning, that's okay. It's still there. James is basically saying the person should say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit if the Lord wills. That's okay. If you have the if the Lord wills, if you add those four words, James is saying, you have godly planning. That seems a little like oversimplistic. Those four words don't seem that like important. But just the addition of that small phrase, it changes everything in our thinking, in our posture, in our approach to our future. Godly planning hinges on those four words. Because with these words, 
God's a part of the equation. Before it was just me thinking about my future, but if the Lord wills, adds God into my thinking and planning. With these words, my life's hierarchy is changed. Before it's me and I'm the master of my destiny, but when I say if the Lord wills, suddenly there's someone else who's above me, who's in control. He's the boss and he's the master. With these words, when we say it, it's a constant reminder to myself and to other people, right, that this is the way we must think, where God's will is above everything else. With these words, we're confessing, I'm not in control. God is. You know, I'm going to do this next week if the Lord wills. Right? Immediately, it's saying, this is what I want, but I don't know. With these words, we're acknowledging what God wants matters most even more than what I want. God, I'm going to get rich, but if it's your will, right right there, it's it's up to God what he wants that's going to happen. When we say these words, we're saying, I'm going to plan, and planning's okay, but I'm planning in pencil. And I'm humbly allowing God to write over it with pen. Does that make sense? We can make plans loosely, knowing that God might change them, and we're okay with that. Now, just to make clear, this isn't a magic magic formula. It's not like you just say it and it's done. Uh, You don't even have to say it. Uh, It's about the heart. It's about the heart of the person who thinks or says, like, if the Lord wills. It's, It's the posture. I think you can overuse it. Don't stick it onto every sentence, if the Lord wills. You know, hey, guys, you want to go for lunch, if the Lord wills? Yeah, let's go to Macca's, if the Lord wills. It's not, that's not it, right? Don't, don't overuse it, but it's that attitude. And when you look in the Bible, it's no surprise that we find this phrase repeated. Right? The Apostle Paul says it a lot. In Acts chapter 18, he says to the Ephesians, I will return to you if God wills. To the Corinthians, he says, I will come to you if the Lord wills. He says that to the Philippians. He says that to the Romans. The author of Hebrews also says, this we will do if God permits. When you look at the early uh, Christian church, they were very conscious that they were not in control of their lives. And they were very conscious of the fact that it is me who's a part of God's plan rather than God being a part of mine. I'm just here doing life a part of whatever God is orchestrating. And of course, we come to our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to be crucified and he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the posture of the Christian. We have plans, we have goals, we set them out, but we don't hold them in clenched fists. It's open. God, do with it what you will. Godly planning is simply planning with God in mind. If the Lord wills, so simple, right? But it's keeping God in the midst of it all. What does God want in my life? This is what I want, but is that maybe what the Bible says I should do, what I should pursue? And even as we plan to give it up ultimately to God. When we live this life, when we say, if the God wills in our heart as we plan and make decisions, I think it does three things for us. I'm just going to say these three things and we'll close. The first thing it does is that it makes us pray more. 
we pray more. For the person who acknowledges God in their day-to-day, that God's in control, that it's God is going to make things happen, it, it makes us come to Him in prayer because we're acknowledging, you know, I have plans, but ultimately God's going to make it happen. Right? God's the one who's going to make tomorrow do what tomorrow does. And so we are dependent on God, so we come to Him in prayer. If you think about it on the other side, the person who is arrogant and has a 10-year plan and says, I can make it happen, that person doesn't need God. And so that person doesn't need to pray. And as you look at your life in the day-to-day, in the week-to-week, as you make your plans, as you make decisions, if you feel like you're not praying a lot, it might be because God's not a part of that process. If we really live day to day as if God is a part of my every single moment and he's unfolding it, it will make us more prayerful. Right? So we pray more when we think this way. Number two, we are upset less. We're upset less when things don't go according to plan. I think on any other week, if the slides weren't working, I'd be upset more. But I've been thinking about if the Lord wills. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I think that's the difference. You see, let me give an analogy. Have you ever watched a movie where you've read the books first? Right? Um, Lord of the Rings, Bourne, Trilogy, or whatever, there's four. Twilight, June, right, that was a book first. Harry Potter. If any of you, you've read the books first. What happens a lot of the times is the people that have read the books first, they've, they've read it five times, they've, they've got a picture of what uh, Ron's meant to look like, and that scene, they've got it all pictured, and this is what they sound like, and they've imagined it all, and they go watch the movie, a lot of times they leave upset. Right? They're like, that's not what Ron's meant to look like. That's not how you p- pronounce Hermione. Right? They, they cut out that scene or that person's not meant to die. That, that, what happened? And they get upset. And the reason they get upset is because in their mind, they believe they know the way the story's meant to go. This is the way the story's meant to go. This is the way that it's meant to pan out. This is the way the characters are meant to look. This is the way they're meant to speak. And so when things don't go according to their story, they get upset. Oh, that's not the way it's meant to be. And I think in life, when we think we know the way the story's meant to go, because we've planned it out and I've got a 10-year schedule, we get upset. We get upset because we think we know the way tomorrow's meant to be, the way the trains are meant to run, the things I'm going to accomplish, the way the person's meant to treat me, the way that my you know, relationships will work out, the way that my promotion's going to go. And when we are holding onto it so tightly and it doesn't go the way we think it would, we get upset. But when a person is open-handed and says, if the Lord wills, they're not upset about the way tomorrow happens. Right? We're shielded from the disappointment of what tomorrow might bring. So number one, we pray more. Number two, we're upset less. And third, we find joy. We find joy in those day-to-day moments. And this is the other side of what I just said. If you go back to that movie analogy, 
You got a group of people who leave the cinema because they've read the book and they're upset. You got a group of people who've never read the book and they like the story. They like the movie. That's because they went in without a preconception about the way the story's meant to go. For the person who thinks they know the story, when there's a twist in the story, they, they're upset. But for the person who's just there with an open mind, any twist doesn't cause um, discouragement or, or, or anger. It makes excitement. It creates curiosity because they're thinking, whoa, I wonder how this story will unfold. I can't believe they took that main character and they, 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 got, they got kidnapped. I wonder what will happen. I wonder what the author has planned out for this to all work out. And for the Christian who says, if the Lord wills, when things don't go according to plan, yeah, it's tough. I mean, when it's trials and suffering, when it's loss and it's sickness, it's tough. Right? I'm not going to pretend like it's not. But still, there's a part of us that says, you know, but I was always open to the way, to the fact that things might not go the way I thought. And for me, because I know that God is the author of this story, he's the producer, he's the director, he's got a good plan, I wonder how God will unfold his story for my life. And we're open to that. Not just in the big ways, but even in the small ways. Able to find joy in the interruptions. I don't know about you, but like, I like to plan my day. And when I get phone calls, I'm like, 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 you're interrupting my schedule. And whenever there's an interruption in my life, it can feel like it's, it's, it's something I don't want right? because I'm, so, I'm planned out. But often those interruptions and often those things that don't go according to plan, they're the moments of joy. Right? The person who knocks on, your, we don't go to the office anymore because we're all at home, but maybe, maybe it's your kid knocking on your door. Maybe it's your, your, your family member. It seems like an interruption, uh, but if we're open to whatever God's got planned, we will find joy in those daily, quote, unquote, interruptions of life. We pray more, we're upset less, and we find joy, even when things don't go according to plan. Let me close. God exists. God's in control. God's got a good purpose for your life. And the way that shows up in our day-to-day, wisdom takes that knowledge and applies it. And it applies it into the way that we look at our future, into the way that we make decisions, right? into the way that we plan. We plan with the knowledge that God's in control. And so we say, if the Lord wills. Now in the history of the church, the phrase, if the Lord wills, has like had popular moments. The Puritans, they loved to say uh, this, this phrase, uh, Deo Valente which is, if the Lord wills, or God willing in Latin. And they'd often say that, Deo Valente. Um, the Methodists used to sign their letters at the bottom with a DV, like, if the Lord wills. And they'd give out invitations to stuff, and at the bottom we'd say, DV. Right? Hey, come, come to my party, DV, if the Lord wills. Right? Because it, you don't know. And again, you can overuse that, and it can just be an empty habit that we're doing. But I think that's pretty cool. It's a reminder, even to ourselves and to people, you know, we don't know. We've got a great day conference coming up. I hope you signed up. It's going to be awesome, if the Lord wills. We don't know. It might be horrible. (laughs) Just to remember constantly that God is in control. 
Let's keep it a part of our speech, right? Let's not overdo it, but keep it a part of our speech, right? But if not that, keep it a part of our hearts and our minds. If the Lord wills, right? Keep that in every decision and every moment of planning. All right, let's close our eyes and let's pray. Now, planning is not the enemy here. Planning is good and putting effort into the things that we've planned is a godly thing. Uh, the Bible says that, you know, the lazy um, are not pleasing in his sight and the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But for the Christian, even as we plan, that phrase must always, you know, really be a part of our thinking process. If the Lord wills. And I want us to reflect for a moment and think about the way that we've planned and made decisions in our lives the past week, the past month, the goals that we set, the way that we've approached our week, our day at work, and our holiday schedules, and the things that we hope for for ourselves or for our kids or our family. Have we kept God as a part of the equation? Has God's will and God's purpose been a part of that process? Or have we made goals and been so set on the things that I want to accomplish that there wasn't any wiggle room for what God might have wanted? I want us to come to God and just with open hands and open hearts acknowledge that our lives are in His hands. God, I want to do great things. I want to have a a peaceful life. I I want my kids to be, be happy and healthy and strong. But God, ultimately, it's Your will that I want to be done. So God, I surrender my life into Your hands. Can we make that our prayer? Let's make that our prayer right now. Let's pray.